Hello, this is Ranjit Philip. Thank you for listening to FS Bro. If you enjoyed this episode, I'll be grateful if you can subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. This will help us to reach more awesome listeners like you. Thank you. Hello, today we have a very special episode on how 2022 has been for the insurance companies in the UAE so far and potentially what that means in terms of how we will be ending the year and setting the tone for 2023. Has 2022 been one of the worst years for the insurers? Will 2023 be any different? To answer some of the burning questions, we have with us Naveen Gurawat. He's a senior manager at Badri Consultancy. Naveen in a recent event spoke about the UAE insurance market performance, the drivers and the findings and we simply had to get him online to chat with us more about it. Naveen, welcome to FS Brew. Great to have you with us. Thanks Ranjit. Thanks Vidya. Thanks for the kind introduction. Pleasure to be here. Very good. I know it's a power packed episode with many facts and figures to digest so we will kind of all three of us will you know take the audience through it. So let's kind of start with the high level market performance. if you can give us a view of the market in 2022 in terms of the you know sort of overall performance coming from from your report so interestingly 2022 performance for the insurance industry in ua has been very different from the prior years and when i say prior years i'm talking about 2021 2020 and 2019 so just to give some perspective things started improving for the insurance market as a whole in 2017 when central bank introduced a unified pricing policy which sort of yeah. set the minimum premiums that motor insurance policies are to be sold at fast forward to 2020 covid struck and central bank essentially allowed a lot of insurance companies to give certain discounts to ease the burden of insurance payments uh, for the general policy holder what that in turn led to is a downward spiral in insurance premiums collected by insurance companies the market competition has been fierce and now that covid is over insurance companies are finding it difficult to increase those rates back up that is leading to sort of underwriting performance deteriorating for the market as a whole right we have observed 2022 overall underwriting performance net profits for the companies to be dropping in general there's about 30% or 35% drop in industry profits listed insurance companies have made lower profits even though the top line or the premiums are broadly similar or even slightly higher compared to last year right right and and navin just to set the context these are those 21 listed companies that you have collected data on and what is the overall premium size gwp that we are talking about in terms of these 21 companies it's actually 28 28 okay overall gwp or actually the earned premiums that we are talking about on net that's after reinsurance is somewhere about 2.5 billion per quarter so it's about 10 billion dirhams per year okay so 2.5 billion dollars 10 billion dirhams per year got it perfect but on the gross level you mentioned it has gone up isn't it on a gross level it has gone up slightly that's like a marginal increase of about 100 or 150 million for this year ytd so for the three quarters it's about 150 million increase in premiums on gross the thing with gross versus net is primarily that a lot of this net premium is the actual picture that's painted for the industry 
because a lot yeah. of gross premium gets inflated for two reasons one is driven by medical fronting arrangements that a few of the insurance companies have which is like the likes of na signa these players are writing insurance within ue but they might not have registered insurance companies which they are writing it through so they usually tie up with a local insurance player who is then fronting this contract on behalf of them for the local market but most of the risk most of the premiums are then transferred back offshore so it's not really premium that's for the ua insurance market or retained within the insurance market and the second aspect that affects this top line or inflates this top line is a lot of the commercial risk so large engineering contracts large energy policies uh the ua insurance market in itself is not large enough or diversified enough to retain these risks so these risks in turn then get transferred to large reinsurers international players so the likes of swiss re hanover re munich re would then take up portions of these policies and risks and there'd be like a very small portion in some cases as small as 1% of 0.5% of the entire risk would be retained within ua and rest of it would be transferred back out right 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 and so that's the whole sort of you know the way the market functions and we know that but perfect and and in in terms of you know it's pretty early to drill into the future from there is do you see that business model changing at all do you see either gross premiums increasing because of you know there's a recessionary talk do you see you know sales of vehicles less people coming to uae for any reason that therefore health insurance sales go down and do you see any net retained premium coming down as a result if at all i mean i'm being pessimistic here right so i see this two ways there are contradictory factors affecting this and whichever factor wins out we'll only find out with time but with all the new measures with respect to the visa changes the ease of doing business improving we do expect the population size to grow and mm-hmm. to a certain extent because of that the insurance market would grow as well we would see a lot more insurance options coming in for long term visa holders some of these regulations do not have clarity at this point so we do expect the insurance market overall to grow because of that but on the flip side because of the premiums dropping we are seeing that the top line is slightly reducing especially on a net basis so risks that are retained your motor insurance health insurance those are the premiums that are more sticky and more rate sensitive and they're not increasing at the same rate at which your claims cost or claims inflation would be increasing yeah absolutely Now, ironically last year i think badri had done the similar presentation and the the situation then was also very grim you know the premiums were yes. dropping and the market outlook was really really grim as well and it continues yes. to be the same story you know the the year that you're next so i think it's really more about the regulator injection intervention that can salvage yes. the situation than anything else the next topic we want to is you had a very interesting slide up there naveen which was was premium trends based on in you know, the individual listed companies itself yeah. perhaps you could talk us through what has been their performance maybe yeah. comparing to the slightly better yeah. years 2019 all the way to 2022 yeah so with a broadly what we observed was i the recent analysis that we did and presented on that was based on a period starting 19 q1 and it went up till 22 q3 so that's covering data up till 30th september 
what we observed was broadly quarter on quarter the earned premiums again net of reinsurance have been fairly constant or stable for the industry as a whole the listed insurance companies it's been around the 2.5 billion mark give or take like 100 million so it's ranging from 2.4 billion to 2.6 billion quarter on quarter so market as a whole has not grown on the net basis over the period but the interesting thing we observe when we dig deeper into see what are the insurance companies performing well and which are the insurance companies performing worse off so we saw that there's a a drastic difference between where these companies lie so the market clearly has three large players which write about 1 billion of premium out of the 2.5 billion mm-hmm. and then the rest of the players combined which is about over 20 companies write 1.5 billion in premiums every quarter so what we saw over the same period is that after covid hit and with the downward spiral in premiums that we saw for motor insurance and everything that's happened over the last 3 years or so we see that the size of pie for these large three players some of them have actually grown the premium that they are writing so mm-hmm. for them premium volume has grown uh, but because the market premium has not grown as such that essentially means that some of these smaller players that form like a dense small portion of the market are now writing or struggling to compete for the same amount of premium and they necessarily don't have the same amount of flex to sort of write or compete for the premiums mm. and they're writing a smaller amount of premium overall but because of this heavy competition in the market and especially these are the smaller players who have to sort of have that liquidity position that comes in they need to have that cash flow coming in at a regular interval they don't necessarily have a massive capital buffer so mm-hmm. they tend to then compete a lot on prices and that affects that uh, downward spiral of prices that i was referring to earlier yeah yeah no this is fascinating i think so the top 3 players almost like have cornered the market in sense and is possibly because they have strong brands strong presence for a long time and also a lot of captive distribution channels yeah uh, yeah uh, yeah absolutely yeah. important Yeah so that's that's something there Vidya any any thoughts on same thoughts actually so all those three brands you know um have like you rightly said great capital but that whole partnership because they have that exclusivity in this yeah. chunks of you know motor dealers it mm-hmm. straight away takes away you know that that portion for others to compete yeah. you have got you know exclusive access so it's, you know i i think it's a great prudent business decision yeah. of course but then conversely what happens to the guys you know who are really struggling as well and what is the way forward there yeah um, and you look at <laughs> yeah navin yeah, sorry any point on that Yeah so actually i just wanted to add is yeah. that also begs the question that is there actually enough space in the market yeah. for mm. the amount of players that there are yeah true because yes there are those sort of uh, conglomerate setups which get direct business offered from the group of companies and that business is not on offer so that essentially is saying that the actual market size that's open to rest of the players is a lot smaller than we are making it out to be yeah and in no. that small market do we have space for the number of players that exist right now yeah i mean that's the golden question and you know <laughs> i think that's exactly what it leads to is we are seeing some consolidation in the market i think looking forward a lot more 
probably needed to yeah. reduce those you know clutch of companies playing in the yeah. smaller segment and essentially all these companies that are doing are just competing for you know bids on google and on other social media platform yeah. where for the same customer <laughs> you are trying to yeah. get so the winner here is google and the social media companies it's yeah true. True. And you know what happens when you have such a practice where we all know for years that it has too many players competing in the dread ocean, you know, when you have innovative propositions that want to come into the market, suddenly you are, you are not making it easy for them. And, you know, we can see that from a regulatory point of view, maybe, yeah. you know, the central bank don't want to dish out, you know, you know, companies anymore that are forming, even if yeah. they are under the, you know, bracket of insure techs and things like that, because overall they see there's a huge clutter. But I actually, there is a clutter on some segment and there is a huge potential on many others. In fact, a lot of segments actually. So it's kind of, yeah, it's it's giving a skewed view of the market. Yeah. So do you, do you guys see any changes in the next year in this both premium trend and number of companies? So fortunately, from what we have observed or in our conversations with different insurance players within the market, one of the things that has stood out and which I don't necessarily agree with is that people tend to say that the regulator needs to step in and they need to sort of increase the minimum rates that are allowed for motor insurance. Hmm. Now, the regulator needs to step in to a certain extent that it needs to ensure that the insurance companies operating within the market have enough capital or enough solvency to be able to pay the claims as and when they arise. I don't necessarily agree with the idea that the regulator should be telling insurance companies that you need to increase the rates. If you're burning your business, if you're writing loss-making business quarter on quarter every year and you're making losses, I think just as a prudent measure, if you're in the business, you should be aware of the fact that there's only so much bad business that you can take on. Yeah. Uh, just coming from the perspective that, yes, we, Vidya mentioned startups. So startups, a lot of startups work on the principle that initially they would be burning capital. Yeah. So if you have that capital base to burn through, go ahead, write the premiums that you want to without any restrictions. But the fact of the matter is that if you do not have that capital buffer, you should not be writing business at those rates that are unsustainable. Yeah. The good thing is now that we are actually seeing some improvement in rates. A lot of the players who have burned their capital or have burned their hands facing losses or seeing say break-even performance when they were seeing profits historically have now started to increase rates. The effect that they have on their books because of this is obviously that some of these players have now seen a contraction of business volume because they're not willing to write at whatever rates are prevailing in the market. Yeah, so. yeah. No, I agree. I also wonder if maybe it's, I'm taking an opposite argument with the large number of players. Maybe it's good to have some small and medium healthy companies because, you know, InsureTech, the innovative InsureTech would want those hungry players to tie up with, you know, the big guys are not going to be very happy to part yeah. with their customer data and everything with innovative companies. So the medium-sized companies probably are required <laughs> to an extent to promote innovation. So it's a kind of a catch-22 situation there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the, the operative word is healthy. Otherwise, yeah. you know, it goes on to pulling the even the insure tech down. If you are not healthy yeah. and you know, yeah, you don't deliver what you promise. So then it just yeah. goes downhill. 
Yeah, yeah. we've seen some companies switching partners very quickly, correct. right? Correct. So, yeah. Correct, yeah. correct, correct. So, it's a very chicken and egg situation. But I think next year, because now IA is part of Central Bank, we're seeing a lot of, you know, regulations coming through. But my hope is Central Bank should not see insurance in the same space as banking and, you know, benchmark in the same way. I think the industry is slightly different. The requirements are slightly different. So, hopefully, the regulatory is, is cognizant of that. I'm sure they are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, taking on the next one, and I think I'm going to combine some of these. So Naveen, can you please talk us through a little bit of what you have observed in terms of underwriting profits versus, you know, non-underwrite investment profits? Let's say, what is the trend yeah. from 2019 to 2022? Right. So it's interesting that you bring that up. The first thing that I noticed when I started working in the UAE industry, and it's very different from, say, the developed markets, your UK, Europe, North American markets. They, and that interesting thing so is that a lot of UAE insurers rely purely on investment profits. Mm-hmm. And when I say purely, you would see that a large portion of their overall profits, their comprehensive profits, quarter on quarter comes from investments and these are not necessarily life insurance players that are writing long tail risks so they have a lot of assets under management these are not those players these are general insurers primarily they're primarily writing motor and health business and yet a large chunk of their profitability is driven by investments and not by insurance risk per se so that was just like an interesting thing that i observed that are you an investment company that's also writing insurance or are you an insurance company that's doing investments based on that what we observed over the last three years or so the review period that we considered was that there were brief periods where your investment income dropped drastically and these were perfectly sort of correlated with the investment market performance that we observed globally Mm -hmm. so one was the crash that we observed right when covid struck and lockdowns happened that was 2020 q1 And then there was a more recent one in 2022. So what we see is for the large extent, most of the insurance players made an underwriting profit or loss during that period, but they definitely made a investment loss booked for that particular quarter. But in most cases, when we see investment loss in one particular quarter, Provided that these insurance companies are not liquidating the positions in that particular quarter, and most of them haven't, the next quarter sees a super normal profit when the markets rebound. So that sort of nets it down. So when you see a investment performance over a longer period, instead of say one particular quarter, the investment performance tends to be more stable for insurance companies that we have observed. Coming on to underwriting and how that performs, that's completely different. So 2019, we saw a picture where where are the different insurance companies lying we plotted it down a graph we saw that some insurance companies were making underwriting profits some of them were making a loss about five companies i think made an underwriting loss in 2019 q1 and we did this analysis quarter on quarter for the last 13 15 quarters and what we observed over quarters what you would expect in a market that there would be certain quarters where some companies are making an underwriting loss due to sort of one of events, whereas certain quarters where some companies are making a profit. But by and large, you would expect the market to be making an underwriting profit because that's their primary source of business. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, that's not what we observed. 
what has happened over time in 2022 is when i compare 2022 q1 performance versus 2021 and 2020 q1 performance for underwriting it's much worse for most companies in general and the market as a whole the q1 performance has been worse than the last two years the same thing i observed for q2 as well as q3 so the recent results that were published for 2022 q3 are much worse for the industry as a whole versus what they were in 2021 and 2020 okay the interesting thing is that the number the five <coughs> companies that are referred to that were making a loss so not necessarily those same five but now the number has increased and now about 14 companies have made a underwriting loss in the recent quarter got it got it and that's I mean, a, a fantastic picture it doesn't it doesn't look like a healthy picture at all you're right a quick question to just set the context again if you look at motor and health approximately what percentage uh, do they contribute to the portfolio of these companies that we are talking about so for these companies i would say on a net basis motor would be roughly about 45% 50% okay and another 45% 50 broadly 45 50% coming from health Okay. and then the balance 5 to 10% depending on which company you're looking at would be from all the commercial and life uh, combined on a Got net it. basis because most of those risks are as i said property risks that are seeded out completely to reinsurers and companies are not retaining those risks with them got it got it so essentially wherever health and motor moves that's where the market moves is what you're saying right yeah pretty much so all your profits for the market are driven primarily just by motor and health Got it. Got it. Any any thoughts? Initial thoughts, Vidya, on the current state? Yeah, no. Just to understand, what would be the drivers that it is dipping down even further? You know, come this year and quarter on quarter, what what's causing this sort of dip? So it's actually twofold. Initially, it was driven by tariffs or rates for motor insurance, which had dropped during COVID, but then they did not pick up. just driven by competition so every month or every quarter there'd be a couple of insurance companies that are in a liquidity crunch and they're willing to write whatever rates they can to get the business in or to get the cash in you mentioned yeah and it's a very price sensitive market so all the business does tend to go over there and that competition sort of keeps the rates where they are right now that's one the second aspect is what we are now seeing globally with respect to claims inflation so the inflation that affected motor insurance initially was with respect to shortage of repair parts so the supply chain being affected globally due to covid repair parts shot up in prices so the cost of repair increased in some cases especially with agency repair vehicles in motor insurance we saw that because probably because and again this is conjecture that probably because motor vehicle sales had dropped a lot of these agencies were also relying on repairs that were bringing in the cash flow so the cost of repair went up slightly because of that as well mm-hmm. that led to increase in severity of claims that insurance companies are paying and the other aspect is with respect to frequency itself so during covid there were lockdowns not enough people on roads you, you needed to take specific permissions to step out so not a lot of accidents happening not a lot of claims but now with expo that happened last year and since then dubai being one of the first places to sort of open up to the world tourism footfall increasing a lot of traffic on the roads that just 
sort of increases the frequency uh, back to sort of pre-COVID levels. So more frequency of claims coming in, yeah. while severity or the claims inflation has not really gone down. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a very good point. And just going to the investment profits scenario, is it fair to assume that you know, obviously, it's a high inflation, uh, high interest rate regime. So therefore, a lot of the asset prices have taken a beating, from ranging from stocks, real estate yeah. to bonds, everything secular, let's not even talk about crypto, and, and no insurance, yeah. no insurance companies investing in crypto. So don't worry. Uh, but Ranjit will start crying now talking about crypto. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, that's a different conversation. So is it fair to assume that the exposure to equity markets is what's basically driving the investment income lower or what would you say? So, so, so the couple of quarters where we saw investment income drop drastically, that was primarily driven by equity market performance. Yeah. But the thing with equity market performance is that it's usually it's volatile, but it comes back up fairly quickly. Yeah. That's what we observed even after major recessions across the globe. Mm. And... To be honest, a lot of the investments that insurance companies hold over here for the market as a whole are fairly diversified. Okay. Specific insurance companies do not have diversified portfolios necessarily. You'd see companies that are very heavily invested in real estate, real estate. or companies that are investing in only bonds and not diversifying at all into say equity or real estate. So within companies, there's that lack of diversification, but for the market as a whole, I would say it's fairly diversified. There's a lot of real estate exposure. There's a lot of equity exposure and uh, they have a significant chunk of bonds. So from that perspective, I think that's the reason that we see that over a longer term, when you say take a rolling quarter performance, the performance for investments is not that bad. Yeah, no, but at this moment, because everything is secularly yeah. down, that has hit them. So, uh, so looking into the crystal ball, guys, on this topic underwriting profit and investment profits what do you see yeah. maybe Naveen you can start and then Vidya right so underwriting profit I I think that pretty much Q3 has been worse than Q2 this year and Q2 was in turn to begin with worse off than Q1 and I'm, <laughs> I'm not comparing against last year because last year was better than this year yeah but what the trend has been last couple of years is that Q4 performance has been worse than Q3. So if that's an indication, you would expect a lot more losses to creep in at Q4. I'm hoping that's not the case. I'm hoping that companies have booked all the losses in advance. They've set up the right amount of reserves. But in my experience, most companies in the market tend to push the setting up of reserves as much as they can. And that's the reason that you see these losses creeping up with time and not at the get-go when you started writing the bad bad business. Got it. Vidya? No, so I know from my perspective, when I look at this whole heaviness on motor and health, I think it's right for, for companies to really think about you know product diversification, proposition diversification to really get away from you know this heaviness on something that's really not yielding them that you know results itself. And like Naveen mentioned, are we an investment company doing insurance or insurance company doing investment? But there is something in there for the, the smaller companies to maybe not just burn all your cash in Google. 
but look at maybe one you know one resource who who's is prudent in investment and that's just how you you know build your operating model maybe there is something in in it as well in terms of prediction i think we can expect a lot more product diversification from what we've spoken ranjit i think with the different startups and you know so on and so forth we know that some of the things are coming up so hopefully that it's it's time to change this you know people have understood that's been a huge bottleneck yeah yeah i'm going to be controversial here and here you know at the end of next year you can see whether it's right or wrong mostly these predictions are wrong that i make so but here you go i'm going to say that there's at least going to be one or two more consolidations driven by these lack of profits and i see that investment income is going to be sustained lower next year as well because the fed is not done raising rates and people are talking in terms of a q a q4 q3 bottoming out next year so if that's to be believed investment income is not going to look up and underwriting profits now it's in the hands of the companies as you both said if they start you know doing targeted yeah. rate increases in these portfolios that are burning yeah. you know then perhaps there is a chance but you know knowing the number of players in the market i find that very difficult to push through in this market really? i think it's going to be quite trouble times for the insurance industry next year true true yeah but consolidation so, i think is superb yeah i think so actually right. contrary to what i said earlier one surprise element that can come in is i know i said that i don't think companies should wait for central bank to step in to increase the rates but one surprise element if and when that happens could be that if say for example tomorrow central bank comes in and says that this is the minimum premium that you are supposed to charge and you cannot charge below this mm-hmm. that can drastically improve the underwriting performance for the companies and it yeah. can be like a surprise move or a surprise fortunate move for yeah. the market no true absolutely totally Great. So, just jumping into our next topic, the reserving trend, Anavin. You had some fascinating facts that you showed us before the call. So, can you talk us through what has been the whole reserving trend from perhaps from twenty nineteen Q one to all the way to twenty twenty three or twenty twenty two Q three? Right. Yes, Vidya. So, broadly, what we would expect from insurance companies in general is they would have more or less consistent reserving patterns. when i say consistent reserving patterns is that if you're writing the same sort of business mix every quarter then you would expect your reserves to increase and decrease in line with your premiums so the more business you write the more reserves you keep or as a proportion you keep some additional reserves and if you're writing lesser business there'd be some reserve releases over time what we observe during covid drastically change in or shift in this methodology of reserving and that was primarily driven during the covid quarters so during 2020 q1 when the first financials were published that was like covid was fresh people did not know what's going to happen what they did know was that this last 10 days of reporting has not taken place so what i'm going to do is i'm going to assume that this 10 days of reporting will come in next quarter hopefully things yeah. will be fine next quarter how naive we were back then so that's that's why companies sort of beefed up the reserves in 2020 q1 because things were not normal in q2 either this reserve that was beefed up was continued so the trend continued in 2020 q2 your reserves were a higher proportion of your premiums 
because you're now keeping that buffer as aside because you're not aware of what's going to happen going forward whether these claims that are right now not creeping in will they come in in the future we don't know if some of these covid losses or people who have had covid and recovered will they have any other symptoms that will need treatment and will not be covered by the government so we'll have we'll end up paying for them mm-hmm. so companies did create that buffer of reserves but we saw that gradually when this reserving trend changed during covid they saw an increase in reserves compared to previous this was then released over time in the subsequent quarters so when in 2021 you started seeing losses which are back to normal because traffic's back on the roads markets are open so people are getting the same amount of diseases visiting doctors everything's fine from that perspective so you're getting normal losses or in some cases higher losses so those underwriting quarters were actually cushioned by the release in reserves that happened because of the buffer that was created mm-hmm. so you would have seen the same amount of adverse performance that we are seeing now in 2022 in 2021 as well if you did not have that cushion of reserves that you were releasing but what we saw was in 2021 this cushion was more or less completely released by the end of 2021 therefore 2022 performance was much worse because you did not have any cushion of reserves that you can release to sort of mellow down the blow of underwriting performance the difference that we observed between the top 3 players that i was referring to versus the rest of the market was that the top 3 players in most of these cases have now built back up the pre covid levels of reserving whereas that might not be the case for all of the market as a whole i see interesting initial thoughts vidya or i so, can go yeah yeah go ahead go ahead yeah No I mean I think reserving and releasing reserves always has been a dark art you know that CEOs have relied on you know whenever yeah. you, you need to hit your profit numbers or your bonus numbers you start releasing your reserves unfortunately that's not that's not the ideal way to manage a portfolio but yeah. I suppose that is that's that's what's happening I see you know combining it with what you observed on the profits and if you say industry was profitable and reserves are low I, I kind of understand it but if you tell me <laughs> reserves are low profits are low it's not a happy story for me <laughs> interestingly while that's true unfortunately that's where we are at yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah God, no i mean God. it feels a bit like a grim story but you know something to look at those top 3 guys again you know strong capital therefore do they have the ability and then you have the the weak ones and therefore the inability but i think as as a fundamental re, you know insurance companies philosophy is to be able to reserve that use is to have best practices in place no matter what and i think it's 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 important that you know companies that are struggling go back to that basic principle and and follow a certain pattern which only helps them in the long term to have that like you said ranjit to have that short term view to just sort of you know keep your stakeholders happy or do a you know, short term activity has a real long term impact and i it's time that insurance companies really learn from that and you know have better practices for a risk averse industry it's interesting that there is this element where we are okay yeah. to take risk so yeah. <laughs> you know it's an, yeah. it's an interesting pattern yeah i mean it's it's like what charlie munger said right show me the incentives and i will show you the behaviors right 
So the behaviors and the incentives are so aligned. Anyway, so moving on to the ne- next piece, which I think is a bit, you know, a bit scary that you shared with us, Naveen, is about the whole point of receivables, right? And, and the collections piece, right? So if you could tell us a little bit about how you've seen that progressing from 2019 to 2022, and then we'll get into the discussion. Right, Renji. So what we observed for receivables was that there's usually a trend in receivables when you look at the industry as a whole. Looking at the industry as a whole is a, has a calming effect because the numbers tend to stabilize. Some smaller companies can be volatile, but because there are there's a mix of like medium size and large companies over there as well, and it becomes like a weighted average, the numbers tend to show a more stable pattern. Mm. And the stable pattern that we were observing for 2019, 2020, 2021 was that there's a jump in receivables for the industry, insurance receivables to about 8 billion level, 8.5, somewhere in that range. And then that sort of trickles down by the time you reach Q4. And that's primarily driven by the fact that a lot of larger contracts, be it motor insurance contracts that are fully sort of reinsured, be it commercial risks or even fleet policies for motor, all of these tend to be written in Q1 for most insurance companies. So it's usually January heavy even in Q1. Mm. And that's the reason that you've written all of these risks, but you might not have necessarily collected on the premiums. The premiums for from businesses usually tend to come with a delay. Yeah, That's in contrast to buying individual policies. So because of that, there was a spike in receivables in Q1 in each of these years. And then this sort of trickled down as those receivables were collected upon and they dropped to about 6 billion level by the time you reach Q4. And this uh, is, uh, this is these are dirhams, right? These are dirhams, yes. Yes. These are dirhams. 8 billion dirhams to about 8.5 billion dirhams in Q1 and dropping to about 6 billion dirhams to 6.5 billion dirhams in Q4. We yeah. saw same trend in 2019, same trend in 2020, same trend in 2021. Things changed in 2022. So 2022, just to recap, is the period where we are seeing worse uh, underwriting performance for most companies. And that is driven by the release in reserves that I was talking about. So all buffer of reserves have been released. And now in 2022, what we are observing for receivables for the market as a whole is that they have stabilized at 8.1 billion dirhams in Q1, in Q2, and in Q3. So the downward trend that we were observing for the last three years, that Q2 receivables for the industry dropped, then Q3 was lower because you are collecting on premiums. That's no longer happening in Q2 and Q3. So it's now a flat line instead of a downward trending line in Q2 and Q3. And that means that if it stays stable, at Q4, then the industry receivables, so to say, are at 8 billion versus the 6 billion that we would have expected. Mm-hmm. And just to put that in perspective, as I discussed earlier, we are not writing more premiums. Yeah. It's not that there's a lot more business. That's why your receivables are also increasing as a proportion of that. Yeah, You're writing the same premiums that you were last year, right. but now you have 2. 1 billion of more receivables to collect as an industry that you did not last year. So it's gone up by 30% roughly. Yes. Uh, That's the expectation for Q4. 
And if you break down these receivables, what do they constitute? You mentioned some of the premium aspects. Yeah. What else is there? Yeah. So some of these receivables would be claim related that you have to collect upon from reinsurers that you have to collect upon from insurance companies. The thing with receivables within the market, and it's an accounting issue that largely the market faces, not necessarily all companies, yeah. is that the way companies book receivables is on a net position. What that means is that if you are a person or a business that's buying an insurance policy from me and you owe me 2 million dirhams in premium for that large insurance contract, you would not necessarily pay me that receivable. You would not necessarily pay me that premium amount. So I'll have to put it as a receivable. And you will agree to me that you would pay these receivables that are due from you in some amount of time. But usually you will net it off. So say you make a claim of 500,000 next quarter for whatever reason. You say that, okay, this quarter I was supposed to pay you the premium. I'm not going to pay you because you were supposed to pay me the claims. So you'll just assume that all things iron out or even out with each other and you not actually pay. So there's no cash actually exchanging hands in that sense. Mm -hmm. The other risk associated with this is on SNS recoverables. So subrogation recoverables, that's okay. largely motor insurance driven. That's when you have like a third party liability insurance yeah. or your motor vehicle, you have an accident and you're not at fault. The other, uh, the other driver is at fault. So what happens is you would still go to your insurance company and make that claim. Your insurance company will end up paying the claim to you, even though you are not at fault. So your car gets repaired and then that insurance company goes to the insurer of the driver that was at fault and says that you need to pay me this X amount because your driver was at fault. Mm. Uh, so this is what basically subrogation refers to. So you, the insur your insurance company essentially wants to recover all the amount that it has paid to you. Now, mm. the issue in the market is that companies are putting this amount as a recoverable salvage and subrogation recoverable. So the 100,000 dirhams that they might have paid you is now a SNS recoverable on my book as your insurer, but not necessarily as a payable in the at-fault driver's insurance company. Mm. So there's an overstatement in receivables that we observed. So we observed how much of receivables are being booked by companies against their counterparts within the market. Mm. And then we checked the financials filled by those counterparts and what are the payables booked by those counterparts for this insurance company. Mm -hmm. And when we did this analysis for about eight or nine companies, we saw that there's an overstatement in receivables by about 75 to 80%. Right. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. A, so, so what, what, what do you see? I mean, this is a big this is a big problem right and the size of the problem is not small i mean just thinking of a banking example we had the whole principle of bad debts and you know we yeah. used to write off after 180 days past due yeah i'm not sure what are the write off norms being followed here yeah. in this scenario are these debts being carried on for many years or what are they are they never going to be received no idea so a lot of these debts some of these debts are being written off Okay. But the thing with writing off these debts is the accounting department would do as their auditor agrees upon. Yeah. 
and the auditor would recommend based on standard accounting procedures so they don't necessarily recommend basis the fact that whether your counterparty has actually booked that as a payable to you yeah and that's where the gap is more yeah. often than not the auditor would recommend based on how old this receivable is or what's the credit rating of the counterparty they would not necessarily go to the counterparty and check that whether they acknowledge it as a payable or not that's right that's right mm-hmm. i mean th- this it feels to me that you know almost there is an opportunity now the size of the receivable is 8 billion it's almost an opportunity for some independent task force or maybe a smart insurtech to yeah, say yeah, yeah. hey i will then, do your yeah. you know receivables collections simple straightforward yeah. stuff yeah. right you know and you know i'll charge you a little bit of a fee yeah. uh, but i i'll i'll get as much of the debt recovered as possible so if any yeah. insurtechs are listening to this you know this is a business idea we won't charge you for no so yeah. i think they heard like a lot of these feet on street sort of model that was there if i recollect correctly where you know the guys would go ask for receivables and stuff but the smarter way to do it is more tech based and i think that's what i think yeah. we spoke about it as well like the likes of adenda was trying to do yeah. which is yeah. use blockchain so it is registered there is just no way to go back to yeah. it and you know from a regulatory point of view as well they can see if it's tallying and then, then the right measures are taken at a, a regulator level as well yeah. yeah no and i think for that i think you you're right an addenda like a solution with a blockchain but it has to come down from the uae regulator saying that hey so, now yeah. i've seen the size of the problem please yeah. use this blockchain everybody has to be part of this consortium it cannot yeah. be by choice Correct. you know that's when a blockchain solution really works isn't it it works yeah, yeah. absolutely and the reason why it did not work or worked in part is because obviously many of them don't want to pay there's a cash crunch and yeah. they don't acknowledge it and yeah. you know that's why there was a lot of pushback on some of the products yeah. like adenda or adenda itself came out there yeah and and another thing we did that recent episode on open insurance i it feels like this is yeah. a great opportunity where open insurance can really add some value right yeah. i mean if you can exchange claims receivables data on yeah. a common platform and it has to be probably regulator led uh, otherwise nobody's going to do it but this yep. can really clear up the mess and shore up the finances of many of these insurance companies yeah. so yeah absolutely and also you know like navin mentioned there is just not not just the claims piece that goes into the receivables it's also the premium side it's also corporate companies who owe the comp- insurance the yeah. premium which is not you know coming through yeah. or coming in parts or coming in installments so clear yeah. opportunity to exchange through open insurance some of these you know aspects to yeah. other industries as well especially the corporate industries to to feed into yeah. the insurance platform yeah. great awesome perfect yeah. any yeah. you know let's let's make some more you know predictions and make sure you know make sure that we our neck is on the line <laughs> for next year <laughs> so yeah. any any closing predictions guys what would you want to say having yeah. heard all this so i'll take this up first thing the closing prediction that i'd like to make is that couple of things will change in the coming year so it's not really i'm an actually so it has to be a database prediction so occupational hazard Yeah. So one of the things that is happening is IFRS 17 which is the new accounting standard that's going live yes. January. Yeah. And one prerequisite of the standard is that it's more of a cash based accounting standard than an accrual based standard. So a lot of these receivables issues will need to clean up in the next 12 to 18 months because if you're not collecting cash then it's not hitting your top line anymore. 
So that's one. So that's going to hit a lot of the companies drastically. Right now, they're just struggling with implementation, the new accounting systems and all of that. They're not necessarily allowing for the fact that just the way business is done is going to change because of this, because of how you're reporting that business. The second thing that I predict is the central bank is probably going to tighten the news one way or the other. They might not do it at both ends. When I say both ends, it's one is with respect to your pricing, whether you're writing rates that are sustainable. And the other end is your solvency, whether you have the capital to write the business at the rates that you're writing. So my prediction is that central bank is going to tighten the news at one of these ends. I'm not sure which one, but one of them will be done because what obviously they don't want is the failure of one insurance company. Because that creates then a systemic risk because of these receivables that other insurance companies might have against them. Yeah. No, that's, 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 those are good points. Vidya, any points you want to add on or dive deeper into? Um, So no, I think from my end, I, 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 think of MA as an opportunity for next year. And I think we pointed that out earlier in the podcast as well. So because there's so many of those smaller players there and you know, and we've seen many activities happen this year in any case from MA perspective, I think we can expect a lot of that. And I also feel generally as the market, there is a lot more energy around innovation. We're talking a lot about new concepts and yeah. you know, having spoken to many or, you know, or some of those startup founders over the year or year and a half, I feel like next year we could see a lot of innovation coming through i really hope for that you know which is not motor heavy or even within if it's motor let there be a little more innovation around that let not be the plane let me go get that customer and you know spend that dollar value on google so i think there has to be a lot more innovation around those aspects and i yeah i i feel like those two might set a tone but also at the at the base of let there be regulatory movement on bringing in some of those best practices and i think we've seen some coming through from central bank already on you yeah. know the just the whole kyc details that's expected yeah. from customers and so on and so forth so i think we are seeing a lot of movement coming through from central bank so yeah so these three would be my take right i mean i think you guys have covered a, a lot of it i, I think I, I do expect some interesting regulations in terms of solvency i think and will probably come in at, le- at the lower end and which will promote some consolidation. This is a story that we have been holding on to a long, for a long period. And I yeah. think also some draft regulations on open insurance are in the works. Possibly we might see the regulation coming in. And I, and to your point on innovative insurance, I think probably next year is the year of embedded insurance in, in UAE. That possibly could increase the size of the pie because no longer is it, do you want to buy insurance or you go out and search for insurance insurance is part of the purchase and it's served in a seamless manner and that's probably a way to go for these mid-sized companies you know so i would say tie up with those innovative insurtech companies get some embedded solutions out in the market increase the size of the pie yeah. Absolutely. The pie is quite there. It's just for us to be a lot more innovative to get there. Because if you see the other metrics of, you know, other industries, they're doing fairly well. It's, you know, the market is coming back. It's for us to, you know, get innovative. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You're right. The pie is quite there because it's, look at the uh, under insurance, right? I mean, in terms of insurance premiums to GDP yeah. still yeah. remains pretty yeah. dismal. So there is a lot of opportunity out there. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. 
very good i think that's a, a good positive note wrap, to end yeah. on uh, <laughs> it's good good to have you naveen and great to you know hear your thoughts yeah thanks for sharing all of this information naveen it was a pleasure thanks for having me then with it has been a absolute delight thank awesome. you awesome awesome